Father God, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come here to your house of prayer. I ask, Father God, that as I speak here, it be you and not I. Send your Holy Spirit for wisdom, guidance, clarity, understanding as we open your scriptures that you may speak to us through them, Lord. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all, church. Um, I'm excited because by this time next week, I'll be in Iceland. I'm actually living. I'm leaving today, but I got meetings in Orlando and Tampa. Then I'm back Monday. Then I'm back in Tampa Tuesday. But Wednesday, I'm heading out to Iceland. And so, uh, so it's going to be, I'm looking forward to it. It is phenomenal. I'll be there for a couple of weeks. But I'll be here the second week in July as usual. Uh, so you guys probably won't get a chance to miss me too, too much. Um, but anyhow, you know, I, I travel a lot, and um, over the years, I have gotten a chance to go to various places. Uh, and one of the things, one of the trips that I remember was back in 2010, I got a chance to go to Egypt. And when I went to Egypt, I have to tell you, I learned something amazing about the, um, the people there. You see, you have people there where um, they're doing a lot of selling, like when you go to the Valley of the Kings, when you go to see the pyramids and everything else, any of those areas, you have people everywhere trying to sell you stuff. And so I, I learned very quickly that in, 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 in um, uh, Arabic, bakshish means money, because they're constantly asking for bakshish, bakshish. They're asking for money and, and everything else. And, and so, you know, one of the things that I saw there is that the salesmen were just amazing. I was impressed by them. It, it, at first, when they started selling you something, it was like, oh, sure, what have you got? How neat and different culture and everything else. But by the, like, the fifth or sixth salesperson, you learn to say quickly, shukran la, no, no, no thank you. And then I, I started to say, you know what? I, I don't, they started talking to me in English. I don't, no, no hablo inglés. And they started talking to me in Spanish. And then... And then I spoke in French, je ne comprends. Uh, no, and they started talking to me in French. And, you know, I exhausted. I exhausted the languages that I speak, trying to tell them no. And, and I guess I just admitted to lying here in the pulpit. Wow, God forgive me. You know, but, but I was trying to just avoid them. Like, no, I don't understand. I, I even just talked in sign language to one of them, and they started fingerspelling. And tried, I'm like, you know what? This is amazing. They, these people can sell sand while you're in the desert. They can sell ice to Eskimos. I mean, these are amazing salespeople. No matter how much I tried, they were pushy, they were there. They did the bartering thing. I tried to lowball them, and, and they tried to keep coming back, and I said, forget it. Then they said, well, here, we'll get, I mean, they are really, really good at what they do. Annoying, but really, really good at what they do. And, and so I, I appreciated that for them because before I got into ministry, throughout my life, I've had many jobs. This is the first time I've only worked one job. I've always had, since I was 11 years old, at least two jobs. The most at one time was five. And, and just worked like crazy my entire time from the 80s till just the other day when I decided to, you know, for the call to ministry and decided to stop all of that and get into ministry. But I remember one job when I was at the YMCA, I was a director there, and the, the membership was dying. Things weren't working too well. Our membership was very cheap for a family, too, and we're trying to figure out what to do. And I come from an aquatic background. You know, I swim, and I was an aquatic director for years at the Jewish Community Center. So I said, you know what? Um, I started to offer free swimming lessons to the community. 
all levels from six months of age through, you know, as old as you can be and get into our pool and, and, and assisted or unassisted. And so what I did is that we have seven levels of classes at the YMCA and each one are eight lessons. And so what I offer was beginner free swim lessons to all ages. The condition is you needed to be a member of the YMCA. We quadruple our membership in the first month. But then what ended up happening too, the, the board was like, what were you going to do with money? And I said, well, this is the thing. You already paid me a salary. I don't get paid any more or any less. Whether I'm here at 6 in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, whether I'm here 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, or just one hour, I'm a salary rate. That's what I get. So since you're paying me, why can't I be in the pool teaching? And so we did beginner levels for free, but then level two, they had to pay. So the first round about everybody was free, and I did that. The second round about I did free lessons for the first level, but level two was paying. The third round, level three was paying. Next thing you know, we have six out of the seven levels paying, but the free level stayed free as long as I was there working for them. And we maintained it that way, and we grew and we grew. And I realized, you know what, maybe aquatics and directorship is not my thing. Maybe sales. I mean, we did this thing and quadruple our membership, and it worked out well. And this was beautiful. Years later, went into, a morg- into the mortgage company and started working for them. Great company. We never did that subprime lending. Are you familiar with what subprime is? Do you know what it is? Pretty much, this is what it is. If you got bad credit, we can't give you the adequate rate. So we're saying, no, we don't trust you enough to lend you this money, but we'll gladly charge you five times the interest rate and lend you the money anyways then since you have worse credit. So the worse credit you have, the higher your interest is and the more you pay. So we're making it even harder for you to keep up with your bills, everything else. My company never did that. They never did subprime lending. And although we were not directly impacted by the market crashing in 08, et cetera, indirectly we were because a lot of things suffered. But I realized right there and then that even though sales was something that I was good at, I made top salesmen the first four months in, in the company. They gave us three months of training. And then when they put us actually in the sales floor, four months in, I hit the top tier. It was a $7,500 bonus. Like, yes. And, and, and it was wonderful. I mean, I, I was making at least $20,000 a month during my time there that I worked for the company, making very, very good money. This was, of course, before the 2008 crash. Anyhow, the point is that I realized that even though I'm a good salesman, I could not sell something that I did not believe in. I had to believe in the project. I cannot just sit here and like those guys in Egypt who can sell you sand while you're in the desert standing on sand with sand in your ears and your hair, you know, even though I wasn't as good as them, I realized very quickly I have to believe in it and then I can sell it. I can't share with you something that I don't have. I can't share you something that I'm not buying into. I can't tell you, hey, you should invest in this stock. And then when you ask me, hey, Joey, so have you invested in it? Yeah, no. If it's such a sure thing, why haven't you put your own money where your mouth is? I realized very quickly that it is very difficult for me to sell something that I do not believe in, to sell something that I cannot stand behind. I realized that some things are just not for me. I worked for a month at a collections agency, and after two weeks, I gave him my two weeks' notice. I could not stand working for this place. It was just amazing. They'll buy the debt at pennies on the dollars, and then they'll try to beat people up to collect all of that debt. And I just like, this is not me. I can't do this. I didn't believe in it, didn't trust in it. I thought it was just something 
horrible. And so I learned that very quickly. Now, why am I sharing this with you and sharing you my travel stories with salesmen and three different jobs that I worked, that I did some form of sales, some sort of things? Here's the reason why. Two weeks ago, we spoke about love sharing. We talked about the fact that we, the only way for us to fulfill the great commission is to fulfill the great commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. We have a task, we have a responsibility to go out there and tell it to the world. And two things are true for most of us. Number one, you cannot sell something that you yourself don't believe in. You cannot promote God to others when you yourself don't have a relationship with God. People can smell a fake a mile away. People can smoke a fade. They can see it coming and coming and coming. Why? Because it is very obvious. You can't do that. You ever had that person that is just extra jolly and you know they're fake? They say, well, hi and good morning. And you know you're not buying into that. And as much as we preach the love of God, many Christians are some vicious, hateful people. How can you talk about Christ's unconditional love when you have conditions for everything? You know, I talked about Jesus, you know, he, he mentioned the Sermon on the Mount where he says, hey, you heard love, love your neighbor, but, but hate your enemy, but I'm telling you that you ought to love your enemy. You don't even love your neighbor. You can't even stand your own family. And, and, and so this is why it's very difficult to bring something that you do not have. But I'll tell you something else. You don't have to be a salesman when it comes to sharing Christ with others. So first of all, you can't give what you don't believe in. You can't give what you do not have. People will see it. But also, you don't have to be a salesman. You have to simply just go. Go with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. You know this, what this is. I read it a couple of weeks ago. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, you may be familiar with it. But whether you are or you are not, I want us to read this because I want you to understand this. We're going to do Matthew 28, beginning on verse 19. And when you have it, say Amen. Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. First of all, I really struggle. It messes me up of the racism and the hatred that we still have in our society today. This says that you, as children of God, you go to all nations, not just the ones that you like, not just the one in the richer area or nicer area, all nations. And what do you do? You make disciples. Of them, right? You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. God is with you. You're not going along, but you need to go. This is something that is very, very crucial. Keep your finger there in Matthew, but go with me real quick to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And when you have it, say amen. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And when you have it, say amen. Look what it says in Mark 10, 45. For, for even the Son of Man did not come to be what? Serve, but to what? And to give his life a ransom for many. Christ modeled for us what needed to be done. You know, I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks, and although you guys here won't miss me, my other churches will miss me because I'm usually there during that time. And, you know, it still breaks my heart when folks feel like, oh, well, the pastor's not here. What are we going to do? Or whatever. Like, come on. 
Your Savior is Christ, not the pastor. And the labor is entrusted to all of us, not just the pastor. We all need to carry this. And Christ modeled it for us. Go back to Matthew, Matthew 23, Matthew 23, verse 11. Matthew 23, verse 11. And when you have it, say amen. Matthew 23, verse 11. And when you have it, say amen. Matthew 23, 11 says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. Verse 12. And whoever exalts himself will be what? And he who humbles himself will be what? Exalter. Remember a couple of weeks ago I shared you that quote from Auntie Ellen that if we will be humble and pitiful, right, there will be a hundred conversions to where now there is one. Also remember that other quote that we talked about that the people would not believe what the minister preaches but rather what the church lives. Go with me to the scripture reading for today. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 and 5. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 and 5. Because you see humility is key. Serving is key. And here in 1 Corinthians, we see it one more time. And I'm, and I'm beating you up with like three different verses of the same thing because I want you to understand how important this calling from God is that he says, go ye therefore. You have to go to everyone and anyone. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning on verse 4. When you have it, say amen. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 says the following. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same what? Spirit is the source of them all. Five, there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same what? We serve the same Lord. We are meant to come together to serve God. Now, over the last couple of months, you've been hearing me say this over and over and over. So you know that this is just a refresher for you. Now, we are clear that we have a responsibility to serve. We are clear that we all belong to the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. We are clear that a pinky is not more important than a thumb. We are clear that when something happens, we all come to help. Remember that example from a few months back? If I burn myself... It's not suddenly my belly goes and says, hey, get over there. No, the feet got to get me there. The hands are going to turn on the faucet. We're going to wet me. We're going to jump. We're going to cry. We're going to gather. We cry together. We rejoice together. We talked about that, right? This is all a refresher. And when we serve, we are doing it for the Lord. We serve one Lord. Two weeks ago, we talked about how is it that we serve, the kind of service that we carry out. When I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was sick, when I was in prison. When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. When you neglected my brethren, you neglected, you rejected me. And doesn't the Bible says that he who confesses me before man and before the world, I will confess before my father. But if you reject me, if you don't talk about me, if you completely push me aside and don't confess me, then I will not confess you. Are you familiar with that? This is all a recap. Now understand, one of the biggest mistakes, go with me to to the last scripture text for today, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and work your way there, okay? But I want you to understand something. One of the biggest mistakes is that we confuse our job with God's job. While you're finding John chapter 6, I want to remind you of Four things very briefly that we've learned from the scriptures. The very first thing is that God 
has placed upon Jesus the following three jobs. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our advocate. And the Bible says he's also our true witness. So when you have Jesus as your judge, Jesus as your attorney, and also the witness testifying on your behalf, you cannot lose, right? He is our judge, advocate, and witness. And then the Bible also says that fourth, the devil is the accuser. Know your role, church. Don't try to do the job of the devil or the job of Christ. The minute you try to do that, you get yourself into trouble. And so if we ought to go out there and minister to the world, love the world, love share with the world, we have to understand that it is not our job to be a salesman. We don't need to do this whole thing. Give your life to Jesus now. Act now, and we'll give you two lives for free. You know, all you have to do is pay shipping and handling. And, you know, what? No, it's not how it works. Look at John 6.44. John 6.44, it says that no one, how many people? No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last days. Understand that it is not our job to sell Christ. It is only God the Father who draws people to Christ. Now we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and we'll touch it again in a few weeks as well, this idea of spiritual interest. How, remember I talked to you about a bucket, gave you a bucket analogy, where each, each one of you comes in contact with a non-Christian, and you, drop, you put a drop of interest in that bucket, and you may be the first drop in that bucket of interest, or the last one that the person says, I want to give my life to Christ. You don't matter whether you're the first drop or the last drop. All that matters is that you are a drop, first or last. As you rub shoulders with non-Christians, you are helping them see a little bit more about Christ. But no one comes to the Father except that the Father, no one comes to Christ except that the Father draws them to him. So you see, the work is done for us. This is when I go anywhere, I always ask God to send the Holy Spirit ahead. I always ask God to please do the work because it doesn't matter what I say or what I do. Without the Holy Spirit ahead, it means nothing. You know, I've preached messages and, and, and I have a sermon laid out and I'm saying, man, this is an amazing message. I'm going to present this. People are going to be like, whoa, glory, holla to the Hallelujah, right? And then it's like, oh, what was that? And then there's been other messages. There's been one of those weeks, you know, funerals, weddings, this, that, ties me up. And someone's like, man, I'm, I'm so nervous about today. I don't know what I'm going to do. Say a prayer, bring it. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit does some kind of translation between what happens up here and what you receive over there that it is amazing. I have seen work being done when the Holy Spirit goes ahead than when the Holy Spirit does not. This is why everything we do in our life, we need to have the Holy Spirit go first. We need to have Christ call upon him for everything that we do. The problem is that Christ is usually the last one we call when it's time to bail us out. Imagine if you would have called upon him for everything you did before you were being bailed out. Look, I do marriage counseling. And how nice it is if couples brought God into their relationship as they were even considering getting together, whether dating or talking or whatever the case may be, or getting engaged or getting married, bring him at the beginning rather than now when everything is in chaos. Okay, we, need to, we need God. We need Jesus in, in our life. 
You need Jesus always in all that you do. Now, with that being said, again, there's two parts to, to, to be able to minister to someone. Number one, understand God's job. God's job, he's the one that draws people, right? He's the one that draws people to Christ, right? Now, here's our part. Number two, we have to lovingly live out God's grace, love, and peace. Notice that I said lovingly live it out. In Hebrews 8 and in Hebrews 10, we are told very, very clearly that no longer will anyone tell people to know the Lord. You're not going to tell it to people, but from the least of them to the greatest of them, they will know him. Why? Because when they see you, they see a little bit of Christ. That's why we need to live out Christ lovingly. Now, first and foremost, in the church, we need to be loving to one another. This is very, very crucial. You know, I hear conversations all of the time like, ooh, be careful. Don't let brother so-and-so see you wearing that or sister so-and-so see you wearing that. It is a shame that we have to hide from some of the folks in the church because they'll be worried about what you're wearing, what you, how you're looking like and what you're putting on or what you're taking. Well, hopefully you're not taking anything off. But, you know, well, the point is, is that they'll, they'll be concerned about that. This is, this is crazy. God says, come as you are. And we as a church, who are we to say, yeah, God, I know you said that, but we have a few things to say about it. And, and so thank, thank you for listening. And, you know, so it, it's not how it works. However, we as members of the church, we as regular God-fearing people, we also need to be conscientious of what we're wearing too. So it's not your job to point fingers because, remember, the accuser is the devil. So stop doing the job of the devil. It's not your job to judge me because that's the job of Christ. But also as children of God, you have to understand that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's ethical. Just because something is the norm right now, is what's in style, it doesn't mean that it is moral. Remember, you look at the Bible, and you have a couple of verses in there that talk about jewelries and dresses and everything else. Now, you have ten times more text talking about your tongue and how evil your tongue is, so keep that in mind as well, all right? I just want to make sure that as I say the next part, you don't look at the neighbor next to you and say a big amen like you hear, amen, mm-hmm, you hear, amen. So I just want to make sure that you understand that, but here's the thing. When you hear about jewelry and dress and so forth and and braided hair and everything in the Bible, it says modesty. And some of you may have your dresses to here, to here, even with head coverings. But guess what? You're probably driving that fancy car and you want everybody to see it. You could sin even with a car. Look at the car. Maybe just with the shoes. (laughs) Check it out. You know? And guess what? You have to have a modest heart. It is not about the dress. It is not about the jewelry. It is not about the hair. Some of you complain uh, about people wearing jewelry and this and that. And then you wear the brightest clothes. Like, look at me. Check it out. Hot pink. You know? I Listen, it's all good. Wear what you need to wear, but keep these couple of principles in mind. First of all, when it comes to outerwear, you know, where my mom grew up, I remember her bathing suits had like a little skirt here and a little skirt here. The skirt disappeared, and now half of the bathing suit has disappeared. Just because it's in style, is that the most moral thing 
that as a child of God, we have to do if we're being modest in our apparel. When it comes to church attire, listen, first of all, I would love for all of us to wear shorts and t-shirts. And yes, I'm going to get stoned later, and that's okay. But the Bible does say that thou shalt not wear anything that costs you sweat. It's in Ezekiel. Check it out. I'll tell you the text later. But understand this. I'm all about for comfort. You know, in winter, I throw my suit on. In summer, you know, I rock the little guayabera, and, and, the, and that's fine. But understand this. If you have to, especially for the ladies, I have learned that there's nothing wrong with any dress you wear. What I mean by that is that I could take one dress, put it on one lady, and you're saying, wow, she looks amazing. Old school conservative. Put that same dress on somebody else because of a different body type. And you're saying, what is that? You can see all her glory. What is happening here? So the physical dress is not necessarily wrong with the physical dress. But if you need to pull it too much this way or pull it too much this way, maybe you shouldn't be wearing that. Understand that if you're uncomfortable even walking and it's riding up or going down, then that's not probably, if you spend most of the time just fighting, it shouldn't be it. The idea is as much as possible to be modest, to protect yourself, to care for yourself. I know it's summer, ladies, but you got to watch out. Unfortunately, guys could get away with some stuff that you ladies cannot. And and so I want to encourage you to, to keep that in mind. But this is the thing, and I'm digressing a little bit, but I want you to understand this. You have a responsibility before God to give the best example of a decent, moral Christian. By the same token, you have a responsibility before God to be loving to one another no matter what. Because God, God hates sin but loves the sinner. Your problem is that you hate the sinner and you love the sin. And that's a big issue. You know, we think we don't. We think we don't, but we have to really, really remember that. You know, you have to live it out. You have to show love. And when it comes to the people of the world, you have to demonstrate that love to them wherever they're at. Meet them where they're at. This is very, very crucial. You know, it breaks my heart. This week has been a crazy week. And over the last couple of weeks, you've seen things in the media. And I want you to understand I'm not saying from here that I'm standing on one side or the other. I want you to hear me out. But you've seen from the media this thing about kids be, excuse me, being separated from their families at the border and what's happening and this is evil and everything else. Here's what happens. I have a lot of friends on social media. And I saw people say, say I agree with it. Some people say, I disagree with it. And each of their comments section... There were Christians, non-Christians, and even pastor friends that I have just beating up these individuals for their stance on the matter, whether they stood on one side or on the other, and the harshness that was expressed. And I am saying, whether or not you believe or don't believe, agree or disagree on whether this is happening, not happening, whether it's real, whether it's fake news, whether it doesn't matter. The fact that somebody said, hey... We need to do something. Or, hey, it's okay. And everybody else just jumped at them and started beating them. That broke my heart more than anything else. Because it is true that as Christians, we need to stand up for what's right. We need to stand up for justice and mercy and do what's right just in the sight of God. We need to seek these things, the Word of God says. And it is okay to be a little bit serrasive. We have been called that as Adventists in the past when we stood up for women's rights and when we stood up against slavery. It is okay to sometimes stand up against government if they're not lining up with the things of God. But what it is not okay 
is to beat up every individual that comes across your path when you dis- they disagree with you because that's just what it is. As children of God, here internally is a two-parter. We need to be more loving with one another and more accepting and more caring with one another. But when it comes to the world, we need to show them that we will always stand for truth, justice, and mercy while loving them as well. Those two things together will help people see who God really is. Those two things together will really put all of the pieces to them. You know, part one is for us to live out this love and peace. Part two is that as people come to you and say, hey, there's something about you. You know, you're the first one that didn't beat me up because of X, Y, and Z. You know, I have to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidetrack a second. I met with someone this week who left the church uh, years ago. We, we actually went and brought our bikes together, and we were talking. And he says to me, you know what? You are a weird pastor. I could never open up like this and say these things to other, uh, other pastors, let alone people in the church. And I feel so comfortable sharing this and whatever else. And, and, and so, you know, they, they, I'm not, not saying this to, to, to pat myself in the back, but what I'm saying is that all I did was just love the brother. I did nothing else, and he found that weird and hard to believe that a pastor would care for them in such a matter. What? Pastors should be the most loving leading now, our elders and deacons to follow, and we should be the ones leading the congregation in love and mercy. And yet sometimes I got to protect one elder from another or one deacon from another. How in the world? Our job is to leave it out. You have to live it out. And then secondly, when they express an interest, to teach them and share with them how they also can have a relationship with Christ and experience this love. William Penn wrote the following. I expect, to, I expect to pass through life but once. If therefore there be any kindness I can show or any good thing that I can do to any fellow being, let me do it now and do not deter or neglect it as I shall not pass this way again. Let me tell you something, church. If you've heard nothing, if you've heard nothing that, that I said so far, you were daydreaming or your mind left you a little bit, I want you to come back for this and I want you to understand this. Have you ever watched, whether in television or live, in a football stadium, when there's 10,000 people in the bleachers, and each one of them has a two-feet-by-two-feet car, and then at a certain time, they all put it up, and when you see a whole picture appears, and it is just amazing. Have you seen that? I mean, do you know the coordination that it takes to have 10,000 people, 10,000 cards, and one of them in the right spot? I can't even get my three kids to line up on the door correctly as we're trying to head out. I mean, can you imagine what it is? 10,000 people, 10,000 cars, but then the picture comes together. And guess what? You are the salt of the earth. You are representatives of God. You are the body of Christ all together. And the only way that the world is going to come to us Asking to know more about the God that we serve is that when they see us, they see a clear picture of God. And the way to do that is if all of us do our part in sharing love with one another, understanding our role, God draws them to Jesus. And it is our job to live out the love of Christ while putting forth a good example of what it is to be a decent, moral Christian to what it is to be a decent, moral child 
of Christ. You live out Christ and the world will be converted over, all nations alike, because they will see us and see a picture of Christ.